You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. We're talking with Dr. Lauren Levine, President and CEO of The Digital Dentist, about cybersecurity, specifically how a dental practice would even know if its confidential information was compromised. Thanks, Dr. Levine, for joining us for this Viva podcast. Thank you, Phil. Pleasure to be here. Uh, first, might as well jump right in. First question I have for you is, if an office has been attacked electronically, how does the dentist know that this actually happened? Well, uh, I have a little bit of bad news on that front, uh, which is that in a lot of cases, you don't. Mm-hmm. There are multiple types of malware out there. Malware, we talk about viruses and spyware, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about ransomware. Um, but a lot of times, stuff is happening in the background that you aren't even aware of. Um, you know, perfect example is, you know, you get an email from a friend of yours, and it's a link. There's nothing else in the email. The link is not something you were ever expecting to get from them. You know that this probably did not, hopefully you know, that this probably did not come from your friend, um, but they've been compromised, whether it was their Facebook account or their email or, or something, but someone has gotten a hold of their, of their email database. Now, sometimes it's a little more evident. All of a sudden, things start running really slow. You check the the processor usage on your computer, and you're not really doing anything, and you notice there's 100% CPU usage, and the program that's doing it is not a program that you recognize. That's usually a good sign as well. Uh, Ransomware, you almost always know when you've been compromised because you go to open up your database, and all of a sudden, you get a big thing that pops up on your screen telling you that your data has been locked and here's how you would need to go about paying that ransom. So there's usually no doubt that you've been hit with a ransomware virus. Uh, a lot of the viruses that are out there, a lot of the malware is timed to go off at a certain period. So oftentimes it could be sitting there for, for weeks or months uh, and you're not aware of that, of that situation. So there are certainly uh, things that you can and should be doing to protect your systems uh, but if you don't have proper malware protection in place, you could very well have all kinds of things on, on your computers. And we would always recommend to offices, hey, you know, go out, even if you don't want to spend any money, go find a free program. There's programs out there like Malware Bytes that can run a scan, and you'll know within a very short period of time, usually 15, 20 minutes, exactly what's going on with your systems. And sometimes it's, it's pretty shocking uh, what you'll find. So when that malware, when that uh, ransomware hits, I mean, you're just shut down. You have a, a waiting room full of patients and you can't even access your records potentially, correct? Correct. One of the things that we recommend for offices, and we'll talk about this more in some future episodes, is having a good backup and disaster recovery plan in place. One thing that we have found, and that's not to say that it's impossible, but one thing that has not happened to us is that when we do a backup for an office, we use a, a, a special type of software that encrypts the backup. We have not found a ransomware virus yet that has affected that encrypted backup. Mm-hmm. So while the office is trying to deal with well, what computer was the, the source for, the, for this ransomware? Because almost always it comes from a, a computer in your office that someone's either opened up an email attachment or clicked the link that they shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, so while you're trying to go through the process of eliminating that, which can be very time-consuming, 
for the practice, their more pressing concern is, well, we need to get back up and running. We got patients right. in the chair. We've got people here that uh, have appointments. We need to roll. So in those cases, if you have a good encrypted backup in place that if it's set up the way that we would recommend it, within minutes, you can be back up and running while you deal with all the issues of that ransomware infection. But yeah, it can be unbelievably devastating. You know, our, we've had practices that didn't have a good backup in place, uh, and they're typically down for at least a day, sometimes a couple of days uh, for us to really, because what you don't want to do is to just get things back up and running and still have the ransomware virus sitting there on the computers. That's not going to do you a whole lot of good. You, you've right. got to get rid of it first. You've got to, once you've identified the culprit, you've got to separate that computer from the rest of the network because many of these viruses can propagate over the, the network. So once you've done that, then it becomes a matter of can we remove it? If not, you're oftentimes looking at completely scrubbing the, the computer clean and reinstalling Windows, and it's, it's just it's, – Honestly, it's a royal pain in the rear. So yeah, yeah, that sounds the, like the real ideal would be not to get it in, in the first place. Yeah, not a good not a good day when that happens. Um, but, but before I get to my next question, you mentioned the backup. Is that is it? Or could you distinguish between a a real time backup versus just a backup you would do periodically? Because if there's a a ransomware issue, you know, and you want to launch your backup system that w that you mentioned is encrypted, that has to be pretty much uh, up to date, almost real time, correct? Correct. So your your you know your data restoration is only as good as the most recent backup. Right. Um, the most common scenario that we see are offices that do nightly backups, and if they get hit with some type of virus, or we have to restore for whatever reason, we have to restore data, and that may happen in the middle of the day. The the earliest, you know, the, that we can go back to is the previous night. So they're potentially going to lose a half day to, to a full day of data. The problem we have found with real-time backup, quote-unquote, is that many of the modern dental software applications, uh, practice management programs, programs like that, are using uh, certain type of database structure called SQL databases, other types of databases, Mm -hmm. that really need to be shut down or at least suspended before you can run the backup. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you do an intraday backup and the programs are open on multiple computers, you're probably not getting a good backup. It potentially could be corrupted as well. So, yeah, you know, this whole concept of real-time backup would be great. Uh, in practice, because of the structure of many of the dental software programs, we really find that you know, you're, you're going to do one or two a day, and that's probably going to be the extent of it, uh, realistically, to have good, solid backup. Right, right. I mean, we're not talking about a, the banking industry, like mission-critical transactions every microsecond. It's a dental office, but uh, that's a great point. So you kind of answered this question to some extent. Are there programs that can monitor your computers and your network on a regular basis uh, in the practice? Sure. Yeah, so and they'll fall into two categories. So we had, yes, we had mentioned briefly about you want to have, obviously, protection in place. And, and there's different types of protection. Um, there are firewalls, and we'll talk a little bit later about what a firewall is and what it does. But, you know, you want to have a firewall in place. 
There are certainly uh, anti-malware programs out there, anti-virus, anti-spyware, anti-ransomware. Sometimes they're all bundled up into one program. Sometimes you may want to look at individual programs. Mm -hmm. What has really been very popular in the IT world is something that's called managed services. And the basic premise behind managed services is that you have multiple software programs that are running on your computers. You have Windows, you probably have Office, uh, Adobe, you know, who knows? I mean, every office we've worked with, you usually have at least eight or nine different software programs that are running in the background. Those programs have security holes in them right now. They all have security holes in them that are constantly being discovered. Mm-hmm. Now, with something like Windows, it's relatively easy to keep current because you can just set up your computers to say, whenever there's a security patch, go ahead and install it and reboot the computer, and we're good to go. With some of the other programs, it's not that easy. So in the past, what you would do is you say to your IT company, please go out on a regular basis, identify all the programs that I'm running, and find the patches, apply those patches, reboot if necessary. As you can imagine, that was a very expensive undertaking. Mm-hmm. What managed services is, is software that automates a lot of that. So the software is installed onto the computers, onto the, the router, the firewall, the printers, you know, wherever you want to put it. And it will go out, it will find the, the patches, apply them, do the reboots. That's all occurring in the background. You can customize it. Like, for example, we don't want to have a server reboot on noon on a Wednesday because most offices aren't going to be happy about that. So we'll typically have those run on a Saturday evening. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the nice thing with those programs is that they also have other features that aren't really re- – so what I was describing is what's called patch management, and that's actually a HIPAA law that you have to patch your systems. That, those managed services software can do other things, and one of them that we use – is alerts. If there is a virus or other problems, if, if a hard drive is corrupted or a hard drive is getting full or someone's trying to hack into the network or anything that could raise a red flag, the IT company can be sent an alert that something's going on and it allows us to be a lot more proactive, a lot quicker in how we respond with those issues. Nice. And sometimes, you know, sometimes we can t- get it quickly, sometimes not, not as quickly as we'd like, uh, but there certainly are program systems out there that would let you know, hey, you've been hit with some type of malware and you need to act fast. So are, are you recommending these managed services to your clients? I'm oh, yeah. Sure. We've been doing this for years and years, even before right. HIPAA became a thing. I mean, HIPAA's been around since 96. So, right. um, but that was more for the, the privacy law. The, the high tech, which really started to focus with uh, electronic data, has been around since 2009. In 2013 is when the uh, the final HIPAA omnibus rules were were, uh, were finalized, but uh, we've been doing managed services for oh my god at least eight or nine years. Uh, it just makes our life easier because we had clients who said, "Listen, we love you guys and we love knowing that you're helping us keeping everything current, but we're paying you you know 500 bucks a week or whatever it was to <laughs> patch our systems, and that's ridiculously expensive. And you know we'd like to pay you know." A tenth of that, and uh, have it uh, have you handle it uh, for us. Um, it's so yeah, we do it. Uh, I think most dental specific IT companies are probably offering some type of managed services 
um, for their clients. We, we've branded ours NetWatch because that's exactly what it's doing. It's watching your network, alerting us to problems, patching the systems. It's all stuff that you really need to be doing from a cybersecurity standpoint. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. So, um, so if a dentist becomes aware of a data compromise, what, what are like the key steps they should do right away? Okay, and we, we kind of touched on this a little bit before. So the first thing you want to try to do is identify where it actually started. The most common two ways that we find of malware being introduced to a system is one is through email um, and second is through websites. And as I said, I used that example before. If you get an email that from a, what you think is a friend of yours and it just happens to have a link in it, probably not from that friend, and that link is probably not a very nice link. You you click on it, and it can introduce some type of malware to your system. Again, a lot of times you're not aware of these things. It it will download in the background. It's not going to give you a big message that says, hey, by the way, we're we're downloading this virus right now. That's all happening behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. There are ways that an IT company can really very quickly identify which computer is the most likely a culprit for that. One of the first things you want to do then is separate that computer from the rest of the network. And that's usually just a matter of unplugging the Ethernet cable. If it happens to be connected with wireless, then just disconnect that. But get it off of the network because a lot of these viruses can spread over the whole network. You want to remove it as quickly as possible. Then you want to go ahead and remove the virus. And there are multiple programs for this. I mentioned malware bytes. There's one called Hitman Pro. There's all kinds of other ones out there. We use a, a program called uh, from a company called Sophos called Intercept X. There's multiple, and, and normally you're going to want to scan with multiple programs, mm-hmm. uh, but you really want to make sure you get the stuff off of there. One of the things that you want to be careful about is there's what's called zero-day exploits, and those basically are viruses that are so new that there are no known antivirus definitions out yet for that. So you really obviously want to try to stay away from that stuff as as possible. But, you know, you want to go ahead and then remove that virus, clean the system. In some cases, it's beyond repair that you do have to actually think about uh, reinstalling Windows, uh, scrubbing the the hard drive uh, clean. Um, The only other thing that would come into play, especially if if it's ransomware, uh, which I think we'll talk about in, in a minute or so, is you also have to decide if any of your data has been compromised. Right. That was because that is a, a significantly bigger issue than, hey, my computer got hit with the virus. Now it becomes a question of was it compromised. Right. That, that was my next question, exactly. Uh, if, if information has been stolen from your system, then you have to tell the patients about it, or, or what's what do you do then? This is where HIPAA rears its ugly head, and it is not a pretty situation. We had talked about in in a previous podcast that a lot of the HIPAA rules are somewhat ambiguous. They don't give you a whole lot of direction. If you have suffered a breach, uh, there's what's called the breach notification rule, and there is very little ambiguity. The first thing that you have to determine, though, is whether there actually has been a compromise. One of the good things that came out of that final HIPAA rule was that not all breaches are really breaches. And one example I can give you in the past, let's say a patient was um, had left the, the chair, their information was up on the screen in the operatory, 
uh, the, the dentist was in a rush to, you know, get the operatory clean, get the next patient in, and that previous patient's information was up on the screen for two or three seconds before the new patient, uh, you know, sat down or before, you know, you were able to realize that, oh, I better remove this. Mm-hmm. In the past, that was considered a breach. That is no longer really considered a true breach. It's considered incidental because the, the expectation is someone looking at a screen for two or three seconds probably isn't going to retain a lot of the information that's on there. So that doesn't really qualify as a breach. Mm-hmm. One of the areas where um, it's become significantly more of a challenge for offices is that about two years ago, the Office of Civil Rights, Health and Human Services, made a determination that if you are hit with a ransomware virus, you have suffered a breach. Most of us never thought of breaches in those terms. We think of a breach as, well, someone's broken into the network, they've hacked in there, or someone stole or you lost an external hard drive or a laptop or you sent, you know, an email with patient information to the wrong patient. You know, those are our classic examples of breaches. What Office of Civil Rights has said is that the true definition of a breach is losing control of your data. And that's exactly what a ransomware does. It locks the files and you can't get to them. Mm-hmm. So if that happens and it is patient information, there are three things that you have to do. You have to be listed on the Health and Human Services website. Uh, we call that the wall of shame. It's not a place you want to be. <laughs> it doesn't sound. There are, yeah, it is about, if you, go there, if you just Google HIPAA wall of shame, you can see there's currently about 470 or so uh, practices or health organizations that are currently being audited that have declared breaches. And there's about another 2,000 or so that have been archived. A number of them are, are dental. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd have to do that. You also have to notify the local news media. Uh, that would not include Auto Trader. Uh, I'm talking TV <laughs> stations, newspapers, things like that. But the worst, far and away, the worst part of this is that you would need to send a letter, not an email, not a notice on the door, but a letter to every single one of your patients, notifying them of the breach, uh, what information may have been compromised. And as I mentioned on a previous podcast, we're oftentimes talking about social security numbers and credit card information. It is considered standard of care to provide some type of credit monitoring for those patients for at least a year or two. We have worked with offices that have had to declare a breach. On average, they lose 15 to 25% of their patient population within a few weeks. So it is just devastating. They have to provide electronic you know, like LifeLock or something for the patients for a year? There's nothing in the HIPAA rules and regulations that say you have to do that. Mm-hmm. It's considered standard of care because what you're trying to do, listen, if you have to notify people of a breach, you're going to lose patients, you're going to have fines, you're going to have penalties. What you also ideally want to try to avoid are the patients who are going to sue your rear end because they're not happy about someone else having their social security numbers and their credit card information. It's just a dev- To me, that's dev- kind of a, a good faith effort that you're saying, listen, I apologize. I feel horrible about this. Let me do what I can to help you to make sure that you know, your data isn't compromised. Um, there's one. I mean, LifeLock is fairly pricey. There's other ones out there. You can get them directly through Expedia or TransUnion, whatever, that aren't as as pricey as that, but it still adds up. This is one of the reasons that when we do 
risk assessments for an office and we give them a HIPAA management plan, we always include $500,000 of cyber liability insurance mm -hmm. because if, if you get breached, you're going to need it. That's unbelievable. The whole concept of this is not only a nightmare, but it's devastating to the practice. It's financially devastating. It's, yeah, yeah, that's, it's really frightening. Um, I think we covered just about everything. I, I did have a question. Are there any laws such as HIPAA that can affect your next steps? But I think you did cover that, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's mostly HIPAA. Now, every state's going to have their own rules and regulations about cybersecurity, about data compromise, things like that. Um, and I, I don't want to get into state specifics. You know, most of them are somewhat consistent with HIPAA, but there are certain states, uh, California comes to mind, Texas comes to mind, um, that do have additional rules and regulations. So you really should talk to your state dental board and make sure um, that you have copies of those rules and regulations because it may go deeper than what you think you need to be doing. Okay, great. That's been incredibly informative, Dr. Levine, and uh, hearing it from an expert like you uh, is a great thing for our listeners, and we're very happy to have you on this FIBA podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Happy to be here.